Lots it. And he goes down. No, he stays on his feet. Throws on the run. Touchdown! Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Inside the 10. Lowers the shoulder in it. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For Walk podcast. We're going to be talking the Texans, yet another trade. Bill O'Brien just can't help himself. That itchy trigger finger is at it again. And James from the Texans Unfiltered podcast is to join us to talk another one through when the world in the league in all sports is at a standstill. The Texans keep giving us plenty to talk about. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's all you can ask for as a fan, right? Uh the peaks and valleys of Bill O'Brien, um, you know, where we're high one day, boom, Bradley Roby, and then we're down the next day, DeAndre Hopkins. Then, you know, m- minor moves in free agency, some questionable free agents as far as contracts go. And then back up with Brandon Cooks. It's interesting. So what we're three and a bit weeks on from the last time you and I spoke, we said about the Hopkins trade, it just sort of fell in our lap. We, we sort of didn't expect to talk about it, you know, and I think that the overriding sentiment that we had was there must be more. Uh, and perhaps this was the more. Uh, Cal in the round table came out last week and said there's something, you know, he, he left a very, I think, purposeful snippet in there about there's something more coming down the line. And obviously this was it. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because, like, everybody's back and happy again. Uh, it's all it took was uh, was to add another w- wide receiver. And, um, you know, I-, I guess we'll get to the int- – we can get to the player, and then I guess let's talk about the trade. I don't know how I'm, – I'm following you this year's show, so I'm just here to add some commentary and uh, some opinions. So where do yeah. you want to go with it? Yeah, let's kick it around a bit. I think, I mean, if you look at – Look at Cooks last year, 42 catches, just shy of 600 yards. Wasn't his best year. Um, there's, you know, there's a bit of rhetoric out there that he misses games. He has taken a few licks, licks to the helmet, and that's that's definitely, definitely true. And you see some of the highlights of that today. So that's obviously a concern. Um, but I mean, if you look at it top line, the Texans give us second rounder, 57th overall to the LA Rams, get a fourth round 20. 22 pick back but I think the big thing which was underreported and I think came out after the trade and I think we're in a, obviously a, an environment where there is next to no news but it came out that you know the Texans were swallowing yet another big cap hit that was proven not to be the fact and 21.8 million stays with the Rams they just paid them a four and a half million roster bonus just last month so actually financially the Texans seem to come out of this one okay. We'll come into the compensation in a second. But actually, if you think of all the, the things that you know that, that they could have done at this point to add more speed seems like an optimal thing for this offense. Um, so, you know, and you, you've got to sort of push your feelings of the Hopkins trade to one side. And we'll never actually... You know, as a collective fan base or, you know, media or whoever, you know, that wants to comment on that, I think, you know, that that is what it is. But if you add the two together, if you were to say you were to move a player on, push the player to one side who was not happy with his contract, wanted a raise from seven to eight, you know, to seven to eight million pound a year, sorry, dollars a year rather, 
you were to bring in a running back who obviously is still all very much TBC and we've got to always remember we're in April, you know, less than two weeks out from the draft now. Bring in a running back, a speed wide receiver who's proven in this league to, to contribute, move up in the second round, pick up a fourth round pick. I think the bit that stings perhaps is giving the fourth round pick back to Arizona. But actually, after all said and done, you're only eight 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 million dollars and a bit forward on the cap. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, I think um, now the way I'm looking at it, and this is what I've been telling people, is looking at the DeAndre trade and the Brandon Cooks trade as kind of like a three-team deal, right? Um, if you look at what the Texans gave up and you look at what the Texans got back, value-wise, it's not as bad as you would have thought. So they send out DeAndre Hopkins in a fourth round pick. They get back David Johnson and move and, and uh, uh, they basically move up 17 spots in the second round to go to number 40. They send out the number 57th pick in, in the second round and get Brandon cooks and a fourth round in 2022. And you also have to add in David Johnson. So for DeAndre Hopkins and a second, we moved up 17 spots, grabbed David Johnson and Brandon Cooks and a fourth round pick. And the Rams ate all pretty much all of his salary this year besides eight million dollars. So, you know, this team, if you look at it that way, I think it's it's somewhat of a fair deal, right? You would like a first round pick for DeAndre Hopkins, but you know, a lot came out after you and I talked where, you know, a lot of it was money driven for him. Uh, teams aren't going to trade for a player. Look, we all love DeAndre Hopkins, but if you go watch the film from last year specifically, he was operating in the slot a lot. He's not one to get separation on the outside. He's just really good at making acrobatic, physical, like athletic freak catches. And he's not like your Julio Jones, your Andre Johnson's, your AJ Green's, um, He's, he's just a different wide receiver, and he's got strong hands. I really like the addition of Brandon Cooks and what that gives this offense. I think, you know, sure, he, he's missed two games out of the 80 that he could have possibly played. I don't like the word injury-riddled player, right? He's not injury-riddled. He does have con- some concussion issues, and a lot of that came from him playing in the slot. Um, you know, you look at his production last year, you know, I've seen an, a couple articles already that, you know, titled can Deshaun Watson um, help Brandon Cooks reemerge as a top wide receiver in this league. I mean, God, he played with Jared Goff, like any football fan that really watches the game knows that Jared Goff is an average quarterback at best. And he had his worst year with Jared Goff last year. I, I really think that this offense, there's a plan. And that was our biggest problem with the trade was we felt like there was no plan. Well, now the plan's to go 100 miles an hour and hope that you can stop us. And I really like that plan. I felt a bit sort of deja vu and sometimes being sort of six, you know, six, eight hours ahead sometimes when some of, some of this stuff breaks, you kind of read it in the middle of the night and then you've kind of got sort of a, a prolonged period to, you know, think it over. And I had complete deja vu with the clowny trade, right? Because you think of that one, he goes out and you think, there must be more to this. Uh, I'm pretty certain went to the cinema, came back, didn't get any signal, 
phone blows up second I walk out and it's uh, they've traded for Tunsil so there was a plan there and there's part of me as much as you know O'Brien frustrates the living hell out of me sometimes and all of us and he seems heavy handed um, you've kind of got to give him something I think and it's you know it's it's inherent in his personality but he but he's gone for it again you know in, in some ways he's He's done it, you know, his way um, and only his way. Now, I think, you know, there's a lot of that with Hopkins to be said. And, you know, I, I think back to two seasons ago and I only, you know, just, be, you know, the distance that, that I'm I'm apart, I only get to a couple of games a year. And when when you see, if I, if I remember a catch he made deep crosser in Indianapolis 2018, and I turned around to, to one of the guys next to me and I said, Hopkins, after the catch, is taking a big step forward. And you don't really notice that quite until you watch all 22, you know, in-depth, repeating plays back or, you're, or you can see it, you know, fresh in front of your eyes because it's just it's, it's such a fast-paced game. And then he had the sort of spin catch against Dallas where, you know, he won the game in overtime. And after the catch, his game had really developed and you thought, you know, the... He's turning into you know the player that you know everybody thought he would. Now last season, I think a lot of injuries and he didn't practice, etc. So, the, you know those things were down, and that's been a, a narrative leaked out there. And is it true? It probably was in production, but there's probably reasons for it. I think it was obviously again you go back to O'Brien. He's done it his way. Um, it was personal. The money thing was an issue, but the money was a vehicle. Um, to get the, the personal objective out of the way now you know you know it is what it is he's gone I think we need to move on and Brandon Cooks potentially might take the number 10 jersey we'll see concussions are the, are the concern but there's also a link there with Jack Easterby and he's got his fingerprints over everything in this organisation if you don't think he does you need to take a closer look because he certainly does uh, on absolutely everything and um, he's very close or certainly it's been publicly discussed that him and Brandon are close so you've got to think there's been some sort of check in there on the concussions and the state of his mental and physical health, that that isn't necessarily going to be an issue or they wouldn't have made that trade. You've got to think that diligence has been done, but I know you think, take the Casario example, diligence wasn't done, so there's not necessarily a track record there, but you've got to hope in this instance it'd be obvious to a football coach rather than a GM to, to make that check. But you're, but you're right, James, I think in terms of the having Watson under centre, just like it is going to be for Randall Cobb, they're going to they're going to see more catchable balls come their way, and a quarterback who's going to see them when they're wide open. So there's a good chance for a guy who's had a thousand yard seasons in every season from 2015 to 18, bar last year, to come and be potentially a leading receiver, certainly in yards. I think. So I want to go back a little bit. Do do we think it's something personal with DeAndre and Bill O'Brien? Or do we think it's a scheme thing? I think previous to yesterday, we all felt it was personal. And now that we're seeing the type of players that are being added, it's all about speed. And I don't I don't think DeAndre Hopkins is a speedy receiver. I know you don't either. Most of the NFL doesn't. So when you look at the addition of Brandon Cooks, it makes you wonder if it was really personal or if really the money played a part and also he just was not a scheme fit. You know, your top wide receiver isn't going to play, you know, 62% of his snaps in, in the slot unless he's a top slot wide receiver. Um, 
So I think that's why the addition of Randall Cobb is so interesting and, and, and needed is this team hasn't had a, a dependable slot wide receiver. And it's an, it, it's something you have to have in Bill O'Brien's offense for the offense to really click and move. Um, so I don't know if I, I honestly am starting to lean towards it's not personal. It was just more of a real business decision that people don't see and that he really was looking for a scheme fit. And you have to think that the Brandon Cooks trade was already in conversation prior to this. Uh, everybody knew Brandon Cooks was on the move already as they're cap strapped over at in Los Angeles. So there was conversations happening and. I, I just I don't think it was personal. I really think it was just for the best interest of the team. And I think a lot of people are tied to that because we only received a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. And they're just assuming that it, because we didn't get a first on the day that Stefan Diggs w- was acquired for a first and, you know, whatever else. Everybody looks at that and compares the two. And um, I just don't think that's the case. The money's an aspect, uh, whether it was the whole aspect of it, I don't know. But you're right, I think they pushed him in the slot now. Is that just O'Brien's stubbornness to do it his way? Um, is it stubbornness or is it is it something that is needed for the offense to click, right? Like yeah. if, you have, if you have DeAndre in the slot and you have Fuller on the outside, what, how are you going to defend that? Yeah, I think if Kiki plays the role that he was expected to play Hopkins doesn't push inside I think yeah I think it's I mean it's uh, with these things it's 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 multifaceted and it's there's a lot yeah. of layers that we don't see so yeah I think it's yeah does this offense need a slot for easy over the over the middle receptions to against linebackers and bad matchups against box safeties yeah uh, and that was where it was so yeah I think yeah it definitely does have a new complexion the trade um, but it's going to be tough, I think, because you just look at Hopkins' numbers in terms of touchdown receptions. That's really hard to replace. Now, you've got to argue, and I think it probably takes us on our next point quite nicely, is that, you know, you can, what is somewhat comforting about the trade, or, you know, from, from you know, if you take all this sort of, you know, it's very fashionable right now to criticise O'Brien and his love for trades and what he's done. And, you know, you keep seeing these graphics of what he shipped out versus what he shipped in. But I think if if you're able to sort of peel that back and, you know, think on your own two feet somewhat, it's obvious that he's got a plan of, certainly on this move, that he's trying to spread the guys out in three and four wide receiver sets. You know, you've got running backs in there who can take the underneath stuff and, and the checkdowns. And then you've got, you know, two to three, maybe four tight ends that can come in you know, and work the intermediate passing game when you've got guys who can stretch the field. So, you know, there, there's an obvious plan here. And I think what, you know, is clear about the plan is that ultimately fits to Sean's skill set. Not having a possession guy that, he, you know, that he he, he uh, back shoulder fades into the end zone or, you know, it's, or it's, you know, it's highly schemed up plays trying to get somebody open. It's spread the guys out and take advantage of the matchups. That's what he did well in college. And O'Brien's, you know, flexed his scheme to a degree to, to do that. And with a slot, whether that be Kiki or whether that be uh, Randall Cobb, then you've kind of got to have a slight sense of positivity, albeit in a lockdown state. And with a season not necessarily going ahead in April, but yeah, you've got to have some positivity there that actually you can see where the scheme's going and it's got potential to be, 
you know, upper end, which in reality has never been under O'Brien. Yeah, I think uh, I, I tweeted out earlier um, pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, if you just look at what this offense potentially can be, right? Like if you take away the deep ball, then David Johnson, Duke Johnson, Jordan Akins, Darren Fells, and Randall Cobb are going to, they're going to eat. If you try to take away the underneath stuff, well, then Stills, Cooks, and Fuller are going to eat. So you got to pick your poison. And I think it's really interesting because now this gives the offense a lot of flexibility, you know. And I think another part of this that people aren't taking into consideration is the fact that we've seen for two years straight when Will Fuller goes down, this offense goes stagnant. Well, now if Will Fuller goes down, this offense continues. There's no, there's nothing that changes, right? Will Fuller goes down, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Stills are on the outside, and Randall Cobb is in the slot, and you have the tight ends and DJ and, and Duke Johnson ready to go. And I think that's really what this was about, was they want to play fast. They want to push the ball down the field as often as they can, and they have to create matchups for that to be the case. So while your safeties are trailing, you know, deep uh, with with Fuller and and Cooks, those running backs and, and tight ends and Cobb are just going to eat up the linebackers and say and and the safeties aren't going to be there. And it, it's just it's really interesting, you know. The 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 schematical aspect of this is is going to be interesting to see, right? We're we're still and the best part about all of this is the fact that we're still in April. There are still so many moves that will potentially be made. We still have the draft in two weeks, which is exciting. We all need it right now anyways. I know you're going to end up having to stay up till three in the morning to finish it. But, um, you know, that's those are the types of things that we need right now. And the Texans are in a good spot at 40. And really, the rest of the draft to really add to that defense that we both know needs pieces extremely bad. And this alleviates the the pressure of having to take a wide receiver. It also just kind of with everything going on with COVID-19, you know, had we have had to take a wide receiver at 40 or 57, imagine the pressure that that wide receiver is going to be under. You also have a lack of potentially not having uh, OTAs, training camps. You also have to add into uh, add into the account that Bill O'Brien does not like rookie wide receivers and has not been able to develop them, i.e. Jalen Strong, Braxton Miller, Kiki Cutie. Um, so, I think this move really puts the Texans in a much better position than what they were in originally. Now they can go best player available throughout the draft. They can add to the defensive side of the ball, which has been neglected in the last two years. Um, and it gives them the best opportunity to win. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm more confident now that I know that there's a plan, which I really think Texans fans were really upset about was just the lack of understanding what was next. How were we going to proceed? And uh, he showed us. The plan part is the bit that people struggle with. I think the the round table, as they called it, the season ticket holders, listened to most of it. I don't think it necessarily shed what in the light they wanted to do, particularly, you know, that capital T. Yeah, what you would do, it was terrible, I think. But... You, you don't want to judge people by what they say, it's by what they do. So at this point, it feels like not that this is off-season's been not going to be widely criticised, but yeah, there's a there's, there's a, a plan forward with, with this offence as well. And 
the big criticism is, and it might even be a realization of flaws of that. Yeah, exactly. They've not integrated and brought in wide receivers, and in this environment, whether we have a season or where we have a reduced off season or a reduced number of games, we certainly won't have the rookie mini camp. So the the amount of time that the the rookies are going to have to come in and acclimate to the league to a new, you know, to a pro program is going to be so limited that actually if you were going to pick a year now this is not by design but more by an organic set of circumstances but it's but nonetheless it's happened is that if you weren't going to have too many picks and worry about too many key spots getting integrated into your franchise that this could be the year so you know within that broader context everybody's facing it's potentially you know not the worst thing that that could have happened um but yeah, I mean, I think it was pertaining slightly to the, to the um, to the draft. And what do you think, uh, as a second rounder, do you think that's still rich? You know, fifty seven. Because I thought either forty or fifty seven could have been good candidate spots to trade back. I think potentially not forty because you could get a guy with a first round grade drops out there, and they still very well could. Uh, but fifty seven could have been a, a good spot to to pick up some more picks. But the fifty seventh's gone. The first team never to give a first and more up for Cooks. Obviously, this is pre-concussion, but he's still only 26. So, second rounder, if you, if you could do that in isolation again, would you have taken it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, with Brandon Cooks, you know, Texans fans should be very familiar with what Brandon Cooks is capable of doing. Uh, as, you know, not but two years ago did he opening week in 2018 um, destroy this Texans defense. Um, and I don't believe, was it at home? No, I think it was in new England with that corner end zone. Um, you know, last drive of the game for the Patriots to, yeah, to win. Do, Gilchrist. Do you remember that? Yeah. Gilchrist should have, I think it was Marcus Gilchrist. Correct. Yeah. Marcus put, Gilchrist. He should have pushed them out of bounds and it was, it was, you know, and then uh, Corey Moore, the guy who's, who sound, his voice used to sound like he smoked forty cigarettes a day for his entire life. <laughs> he uh, he should have had it. He dropped an interception. I always remember that game actually. We just digressing a bit, but the camera panned to the, the owner's box, and the look on Bob McNair's face. Yeah, it was telling of. Hold on, the now you know we've we've got someone here under center. And I always remember that quite vividly because I remember we were watching it on Game Pass, uh, the guys that we watched the games with, and it was cutting in and out. I'm pretty sure that was the season they gave everybody a refund um, for some of the season, but it was cutting in and out. Clowney takes it in the end zone after, I think it was Merciless, strip sacks, jokes the ball out of Brady. I just thought, this seems like it's all coming together a little bit too nicely. And I always remember the, the phrase of, some of the, one of the guys said, and what's going on here? The Texans are looking like a complete team <laughs> that day. It was quite strange, and actually, and 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 actually, the play that probably should remember that we don't remember, which I just looked at the other day for some odd reason, screenshotted on my phone, was actually Deshaun missed Stephen Anderson wide open in the end zone to seal the game, um, but but before they kicked the field goal. Um, but yeah, anyway, we digress. It was a, that was a big turning point, I think, for the team. But nonetheless, yeah, Cooks tore them apart that day. 
And there was another guy who was playing corner who they just picked off the street, which I'm struggling to remember his name now, played that day. And I think Cooks just tore him apart. Yeah, and that, so, I mean, when you look at what he's capable of doing as a wide receiver, um, you know, it's very telling as far as um, what he could do for this offense. Speed kill, and look at what Kansas City did to this defense in the playoffs. Um, you know, speed is everything. And if we, they know that they have to match, match up with the Kansas City Chiefs at some point if they want to take that next step. And to me, I think this plan is what's the next step is. When I think back to last season of the physically dominant or the scheme domination of the Texans, the only other time was Baltimore. And the reason for that was less so for the speed, but actually it was the three tight end sets that they used. Now, they've traded one of those tight ends away, so obviously they don't feel like that's necessarily a long-term strategy for them because it just takes a couple of athletic linebackers or safeties to cover that up. Whereas you're right, yeah, speed, you just can't coach it. And it's it doesn't matter what the scheme is, it doesn't matter how good your safety is, it doesn't matter how you know, well the rest of the you know the, the, the four or five matchups are in the passing game. You just need that one player to break it open and uh and you've got an offense. And I think as well, if you think of Deshaun's deep ball, particularly, you know, we go back to that that rookie year that we just touched on there and bread and butter. I mean Yeah, it was it, That's I, what he does best. Yeah. Big time. And I always remember watching the Kansas City game a couple of weeks ago. Now, they lost that game, but he threw one to Fuller when they didn't really play that well down in the game. Finds Fuller deep, so I had to come back and catch it. But it was just the fact that he had the he had the goal and the gunslinger mentality just to go right at them and, and take a deep shot like that at that time. I think pretty certain it was a third down. So yeah, if you can get back to those levels, and he's got you know an additional deep threat, and then you can have you know the other speeds to run deep crossers or you know quick outs. Potentially, and we touched on it at the time that there was going to be an argument of without Newt Hopkins, this offense becomes more balanced. I mean, we're it's yet to be seen if that's actually the case, but it's pointed in the right direction, right? Which is what you're looking for. I think, you know, when you think of Brandon cooks, I think a lot of people think of speed, but you also have to think about the route running abilities that he has as well. I mean, he's a great route runner. That's another thing about Will Fuller that people tend to miss as well is, you know, a lot of why Will Fuller is really good at what he does is not only the speed, but it's the speed and combination of route running. He runs extremely crisp routes. Now you're adding another guy that can do that. Um, Jordan Akins, I'm, I mean, my, he's my favorite tight end. He's the guy that I think is, is really going to have a breakout year. You had that, his, his yards after catchability. I, I just think this team is poised now to, to really make some moves. Now, will it be held back by the defense? And that's really the biggest question for me. I mean, we need pass rush so bad. The big concerns have got to be in the draft, I think, and it's probably leads us on to how does this impact our draft strategy because you're right, pass rush, whether it be interior or on the edge, they've got to find it in some way or another. And I, I don't know if this draft with the talent that's available sets them up to be able to do that. 
you think you know you're you're hoping on an AJ Panessa or a Gross Matos from Penn State fallen possibly out of the first round because they're de- developmental. So then they come into your program and do you necessarily have the coaching staff? Obviously, they've got Coach Rumpf come from over from Tennessee, so that maybe makes you think that you know the guy Darrell Taylor that's coming at them was injured last year, but you know in twenty eighteen was a great player. You're kind of speculatively hoping that your pass rush is going to improve, albeit with the guys in house, and we'll come on to that. But in terms of defense, it's going to be probably either be corner or or um, or or some form of of guy on the defensive line at forty now to hopefully improve our unit because it needs an injection of talent, particularly now you've got merciless and what are you know, the wrong side of thirty. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, I think defensive tackle probably will be if I had to just look at like the the draft class. There's not a lot available on the defensive end position, as you mentioned. Like, there's really two guys, but when you look at the defensive tackle class, it's a pretty strong class. Uh, you have Neville Gailmore out of um, Louisville, who's going to be a, a really good player. You got Marlon Davidson out of Auburn. Um, you know, Ross Blaylock, uh, Raekwon Davis, Khalil Davis. I mean, there's the list goes on on the interior. And I think if you look at this team, if they're able to, I, I when I've been looking at this draft and what I've been thinking about is just more of if those interior guys have shown that they can manufacture a pass rush into on the interior, it makes me wonder if they could potentially do it on an as an end in the NFL. And, you know, with Timmy Jernigan, you know, he's more of a pass rushing defensive tackle and, and a good run stopper as well. You have him and you add another guy, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, you got Charles Minhew who could potentially really develop and show, I mean, he had what three, I think he had three and a half sacks last year. Um, he's got long arms, uh, quick off the edge. You got Jacob Martin who's shown flashes as well. Needs to add probably 15 to 20 pounds to, to really be considered a, a every down player. Obviously, you have Whitney Merciless, Duke Edge 4, which seems to be somebody that is forgotten about quite a bit when it comes to this team, um, is coming back from an injury. Now, he's been injured since he's played football, it seems like. He had injuries in college and every year since he's been here, very Will Fuller-esque. But, um, you know, maybe maybe they're not even thinking. Maybe they're going to grab a, you know, a safety in the, first round, in the second round. I, the, the best part about where they're at now is they can really just go best player available and just take whoever they want. And I think it's a really good position to be in. Best player available in defense, I think, is going to be the correct be the call. I think you're right. I mean, bar the Lonnie Johnson pick last year, and, you know, he's certainly been, you know, visible in his workouts. And um, I know you spoke to uh, the footwork King and how he's been working out with him. So you've got to hope that he's, you know, he looks well, like a player who's got the tools. I also interviewed Lonnie Johnson. Um, that'll be out Monday. Sure. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. And what's the and what you what, what sort of sentiment do you get from him right now? You think he's he's focused? Yeah, I think I, he's focused for sure. I mean, I think one of the things that people need to look at when it comes to a second year player is how are they how are they looking to get better? And uh, the biggest thing with Lonnie is just his transition, opening up his hips and his footwork. And he knows that. And uh, we talked about a couple plays specifically on film in the Chargers game that, you know, I, I, I didn't have concerns about because he's a rookie, but it's definitely areas that I wanted to see him improve on. Uh, he talked specifically about those plays 
he mentions exactly what he needs to work on. He knows um, he knows that when he's playing off that he's got to he's got to tame the aggressiveness um, and not bite um, on stutters and uh, ins and outs. But um, he's really I mean, he's making strides. You know, Rashad, the footwork king really does a ton of good work. I mean, when you look at the list of players he's worked with, I mean, it's, it's incredible when you take into consideration the kind of guys that he's worked with. And, um, I think Lonnie as a human being, it's one thing to identify what you need to work on as a person, but then, you know, as an athlete to know that those areas are, are the biggest concern and something you need to work on that speaks a lot to the player's potential and who he is as a person and their character. And Lonnie knows exactly what he needs to work on. And, uh, he didn't get into anything with Anthony Weaver because he doesn't really know yet, but um, he's excited. He said he has a great relationship with Bill O'Brien. Um, and I, I, I think, I think very highly of Lonnie Johnson. Um, and I, I do think I, if I had to imagine, I, I'm assuming it's going to be Conley, Lonnie outside Roby in the slot, or, you know, if we play dime, then Vernon Hargraves will be in the slot. And, but um, yeah, I think that, I think Lonnie really has a, a lot of potential. I mean, he's six two, uh, long, long arms, very physical. Not the fastest guy, but fast enough. Um, yeah, I think Lonnie's Lonnie's on track to to do some things this year. And year one to year two is going to be the jump for all players. But even at corner, you think sometimes it might even be year two. Could even you know could even be year three. You know, sometimes could even be your four. You saw that with Kareem Jackson, you know, and I don't think he was ever the best corner and were very different types of players. But, you know, and particularly with the offensive line as well, you know, again, it's positions that they invested in last year that you've got a lot of guys there. Actually, when you look at last year's picks, all reasonably successful. And in one essence, the only, you know, the outlier was Lonnie, but he's, you know, but it's, it's the hardest position to transition from college just because the rules are different. So if he can come in and be a positive, and like you said, I think you know with 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 Hargreaves with Roby coming back, they're not necessarily pigeonholed to any spot really. I think part you know bar the def the defensive line. I think Marlon Davidson from Auburn. I think for me he's probably the guy that you know looking at some of his tape or Ross Blacklock. If he falls that far, I don't think he will. I think he's got potential to to um, from the guy from TCU to drop. Um, I think he might even sneak into, you know, really early first, if not late second, because he missed 2018. Uh, but if you look at his, his his previous year tape from some of the clips that I've seen, I think, you know, he looked like a serious player and I think he kind of caught people out of it by coming out. So, you know, there, there's options there. But yeah, I don't think there's a perfect, I don't think there's a perfect fit or a true outside linebacker that they could, they could look to and target or trade up or trade down for to to fill a specific need. And I think, you know, the year one to year two stuff with Duke Edge for this is year two for him in essence, because year two was a write-off because of injuries, but he was injured at Wake Forest and that was why they got him in the, the fifth round. I think I'm tempted to say because he fell. So, um, but he was, a, he was a no brainer at that pick because he was, you know, he was, a, he was a good player for, for, for them in that conference. And even in the year, in the, in his rookie year, remember he got the sack at Tennessee early in the season and he, he, and he flashed. So, you know, there's hope there, but I think that's got to be the biggest concern of you are well placed at 40, but you know, to fill some sort of pass rush or to create some sort of additional pass rush to find that they're going to have to buy their either very lucky or the whole digital draft either that we're in just allows somebody to fall when it's meant to be. 
Yeah. And I think, like I said, I mean, well, I, first of all, I, I agree with Ross, Ross Blaylock. I don't know if he'll fall. He also has a neck injury, which can be or had a neck injury, which could be somewhat concerning for some people um, is why he could potentially fall to the second round. Um, Marlon Davidson, I think, would be an ideal fit. He should be there at 40. But um, there's lots of players that they can go for. I think the corner class is an interesting class. If they did go corner, um, you know, Damian Arnett wouldn't be a bad choice. If somehow Jeff Gladney falls from TCU, um, AJ Terrell. I mean, there's there's really a lot. Uh, Jalen Johnson out of Utah. There's a lot of corners uh, in this class. I, I really think that they're in a they're in a better position now than they were yesterday, right? Because I was starting to write an article yesterday morning about how they're pretty much in the same position they were in last year, except the positions were different. Last year it was tackle. And the entire league knew that the Texans needed to tackle. And what happened? We saw Philadelphia trade up in front of us and grab Andre Dillard. You know, I, I felt like that was going to be very similar this year. And then, you know, they went ahead and just kind of addressed the need, uh, filled it with a guy who was probably going to be more more impactful than any any rookie that you could potentially land in the second round. And, you know, they could they could grab this. This class is so deep at wide receiver. They could grab a guy in the third um that could potentially also come in and, and learn more or could be, you know, have kind of have a red shirt year. Maybe we cut Kiki or Deandre, but um, yeah, it's pretty much endless on what they're able to do. And w- when you're a franchise and you're looking to add players to your culture and to your roster, uh, it, it's a good position to be in. Like, obviously there are needs, right? Defensive tackle, defensive end. Some would say corner. I don't say corner, uh, but if there is a corner there, take them. Uh, you can never have enough. Maybe free safety to pair with Justin Reed if we don't sign Eric Reed. Um, so, you know, but they can also address the pass rush still in free agency. You know, Everson Griffin's still a free agent. There's still a couple players out there that could potentially help this team. It, it's just interesting uh, where we're at. I mean, what happens now if David Johnson doesn't pass his physical um, or if it's just not processed by draft night? I think that's an interesting storyline to follow as well. Yeah, I actually started writing an article about that yesterday. <laughs> um, that the trade was still not consummated, so the fortieth overall pick's technically not confirmed because the trade was subject to medicals. The medicals still haven't taken place, even though somehow Hopkins seems to have got himself back from uh, LA. I don't know if it's still locked down. I'm not that close to it. Seemed like he was back in Houston training with Charles Amenahu and and. And Will Fuller over the last while, well, and Will Fuller without dreads as well is quite a, quite a thing to get used to because he doesn't look quite like the same guy. Um, he looks a lot bigger too. Yeah, in his yeah, chest. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think he knows that he has to get over these soft tissue injuries, and he knows that. Um, and so hopefully he can. Um, and that's just you know as as ridiculous as it sounds. It's there's easy things to to you know to get you away from soft tissue injury, but you know. The Texans seem to specialise in hamstring injuries, so hopefully, you know, the guys have got more time to do stuff on their own can find the ways to do that for themselves. But, but yeah, that that trade is not being finalised yet, so that that's an interesting one because if that trade has to get renegotiated, that's the part. Where what does it leave Bill us, Brian? What if Bill O'Brien was playing the ultimate chess move? He'd be smarter than anybody in it, at any point in his life's given him credit for. But if that was the case, but you might, you know, I, I think it's it's not unprecedented because if you think of the um, the Dwayne Brown trade, Jer- Jeremy Lane. Lane, yeah, feels his medical. I remember I was sitting in the uh, sitting in a bar in Austin 
text comes through. Uh, Lane's failed his medical. They're renegotiating the trade. And I thought. And they got a third round pick. Yeah, they got a third, an extra third back on top of the second. They already got in a fifth, I think, as well, was it? Yeah. So it, it's a strange one because it's not unprecedented for that to happen. Now, it was independent doctors, and you think, well, who's, you know, you know, with every franchise is paranoid to the extreme, do they trust an independent doctor? To... And none of them are. No. Yeah. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't. So then, you know, I see a lot of people think that that means that if that happens, we're going to get the eighth overall pick. If, if I'm you guys, I, I mean, I don't think that that's the case. I don't think Arizona is willing to give. I don't even, even with the media backlash and the team excitement uh, from the fans, I don't think they'd give up the eighth pick overall for DeAndre Hopkins. I really don't. Um, maybe, maybe, but I, I just can't see it. So then you have to wonder what else is going to be there. Um, you know, are they going to throw in a third? Or do the Texans say, hey, give us your first next year? Um, it's interesting. But David Johnson tweeted today that he's going to he's gonna pass his physical and uh, he's asking what number he should wear. So uh, he's pretty confident in it. So I, I'm assuming he's had conversations with with Bill O'Brien. I think Bill, I think David Johnson is a Bill O'Brien type of guy, uh, especially at the running back spot. So I, I think there's a lot of speculation. But if I had to guess, I would assume that um, he's going to pass his, his physical. Yeah, I think so. If if it was to get renegotiated, you think it's probably more likely to get that fourth back and maybe a third, maybe even a third, a third or a fourth next year. Um, I think that eighth overall, if it was, if it was in play, it would have been given up by now. I think it would have been on the table. I think if they were willing to part with it, but you just never know. If 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 just say for example, Hopkins fails a medical because he's got some underlying issue that he's dealt with. That's another that's another matter, but I, I I can't see coming to that. I think he's he's able to get himself out in the field and contribute this whatever he's got. So, yeah. But it's it, again, it's so many unknowns at this stage. But you've got to think there'll be some sort of uh, patch up job, or there'll be something that keep keeps keeps him moving forward. Interesting, you talked about safety. You think Eric Reed signs? I've not really touched on that, but it it seems like as a player, it's a no brainer. You've signed Eric Murray on a reasonably hefty deal, but Eric Murray again, if you were to sign him or an Everson Griffin, you know, then they could do that after the draft because if you sign players after the draft, and it would seem the Texans would be wise to wait if they don't pick up say safety in this draft, which there's a lot of good players and possibly will be available second or third round. If they don't, then you know you get even better value on on the contracts and it reduces the value and the, the length of contracts as well if you wait till after the draft. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think, uh, you know, Justin Reed, is he's already talked to Bill O'Brien about it. Um, I think Eric Reed is the type of player that Bill O'Brien would like on this team. Uh, you know, for people that are worried about the kneeling, I mean, Kenny Steele's kneeled every game last year and it wasn't an issue. Uh, it seems the kneeling isn't an issue when winning is happening. So um, I, I don't think that that'll be a problem. I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a very good chance that we sign uh, Eric Reed. I, I, he fits really well with this defense. How cool would it be to see the brothers play on the backside, right? Like that's, you know, that's a story in itself, but also Eric Reed really had a career year last year with Carolina. Um, and he's still young enough to be a very impactful player. I think he's what, 29, 28. Um, so, I mean, he has the potential to be a really good player and good piece for this. And if they're looking to avoid another, you know, another potential draft pick, they could, they could easily sign Eric Reed. I don't think he'd be expensive. I think you, you know, you have to de decide whether him or, 
Everson Griffin would be ideal or who would be more ideal. Um, but I like Eric Reed. I think he'd be a good fit. Eric Reed's one of those guys that he's almost too big to play safety, isn't he? He could almost be a, a linebacker or a, a sub-package, you know, a linebacker. So I, I, I don't think the Texans have got a true downhill runner tackler. Now, I know his brother Justin likes to play like that, but he's, his shoulder has come, in, has come under some scrutiny in the last year and he was injured the whole the whole campaign last year. So, you know, I think a guy like that, I, I, I've not watched enough of Eric Murray to know if he can fill that role truly. He doesn't look like he can. So, yeah, I would say we're kind of missing that. Now, you can get a box safety later in the draft if needs be, but again, when we're looking for sure picks or sure fire or less risk options, as O'Brien obviously is um, opting for, then I think, you know, Eric, um, I think Eric Reid is... Is potentially uh, an option. I think as well as the big thing that I've taken away from the last couple of days, James, I don't know about you, but with the Texans being in the limelight uncharacteristically, they were not, we're not used to this. The amount of sort of fake or fed narratives that go around the league that people pick up and other people hold on to, regardless of what it's about, whether it's whatever the, the cap situation with Cooks' contract, whether it be about O'Brien trading away picks, you know, but I think people are so inclined to believe what they're told to believe, just like the same could be said about you move a pick on because exactly what you said earlier, trying to bring in somebody into the system this year, you're far more likely to get two or three years of high quality production out of Brandon Cooks than you are in a, in a second round pick at 57 overall, who's a 50-50 chance at best. So, you know, I think because the draft is built up as this big event, and rightly so, it's, it is a great, a great show, but the NFL want you to believe that. They want you to believe draft picks are the be-all and end-all. And they do help manage the cap, absolutely. But they're yeah, not I certainty think... by any stretch of the imagination, are they? No, and, you know, I think we're starting to see a trend as far as... I think Bill O'Brien's ahead of the curve a little bit as far as trading picks for known commodities. Um, you know, they, you see it in the NBA all the time. Uh, draft picks, meaning unless they're top five, really mean nothing. I think in the NFL, you know, a top 15 first round pick is, is probably extremely valuable. But outside of that, I think you really have a lot of questions, right? And when you look at where the Texans are going to be drafting every year, you know, they're likely going to win the division again this year. Um, I think their only only team that they really need to worry about is probably Indianapolis. I know a lot of people don't like the Rivers move. I think that people are overreacting to um what happened in Los Angeles with the Chargers offensive line. I don't think they're really paying attention to what Philip Rivers is capable of doing. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the Texans are in a good spot to win the division again, you know, make it out of the wild card. Now, now you're talking about a team that's picking, you know, again, 24, 25, you know, what is that pick really worth? If you can add that to a player that's going to impact the team immediately. And um, I think draft picks just aren't as valuable as what they used to be. And I think teams are catching up. And then, you know, when it comes to contracts, you know, I, I definitely think like when you look at the Eric Murray deal, it looks like a ton of money. I'm not going to judge yet until I see what he's capable of doing. I think he's an upgraded Jill Adai, um, just a younger version. He's fine sitting in his own great box safety, a lot of speed, uh, sure tackler. You know, maybe maybe he is exactly what this team was looking for. Um so, you know, I don't put a lot of weight into what players are getting paid until I see what they do on the field. 
I know when we when we talked three three weeks ago, we were both down and out, right? But that was so fresh. Um, sometimes, as a fan and as a media person covering the team, you kind of have to take a step back and just try to try to analyze it as best you can. And sometimes we get caught in our emotions. And I, I really think this team's in a really good spot. And I think that's the best thing that a fan could really ask for right now is this team seems to have a direction they're in a good position to add players that they need at positions of need and the, the it's going to be fun to watch no matter how you break it down fan of it not a fan of it this this offense is going to be fun to watch and i'm really excited to see what this team does yeah i think it's it's a new or an adjustment of the offense ident- offensive identity of the team again this year um I think as well, just one thing I wanted to pick up on the offense, and I keep seeing this, and it's really kind of starting to grate on me a bit, the continual talk of, the yes, they do need depth at guard, but where does this continual talk from or this need to trade the next thing? I saw one I saw one uh, commentator put out, yeah, they need to trade out uh, Kiki now, you know, and I, I responded to say, well, what are you going to get from a fifth round at best? And then there's also this. Well, you you need to we need to get rid of Fuller if we um, or sorry um, Zach Fulton if we if we can bring in a guard in the draft. And to me, and probably to anybody that watches the game, you know, in in a, in reasonably in depth of your offensive line, which we're all ready for an organic lift and play this season. But why would you break up the five guys that started the majority of the games before Titus Howard went out? Why would you break that up to save $7 million in a cap this year? But you continue to see that. Right? And I, I think it's probably just as easy to think uh, Texans Twitter is the, it, it, you know, is, is the pulse of the fan base. It's not always, but you continually see that put out, which is starting to kind of, for me, I just think, how can, you know, what's the need for more trades? When on one arm we criticise O'Brien for making trades to move, but then the second there's any depth there, there's secondary or tertiary pieces that people are desperate to trade away, like they're playing Madden. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the Fulton piece, I think if you look at the offense, right, I mean, you pretty much only have the weakest link right now is Zach Fulton, right? So I think this team just looks – I don't think they realize how good the offensive line was last year either. Um, you know, Zach Fulton, is he the weakest link on the offensive line? Absolutely. Is he an average starter on the offensive line? I would say so. He's, uh, you know, he's better and better as a run blocker than he is a pass protector. But at the same time, like, when you look at this offense – a lot of quick throws, uh, lots of underneath stuff. I think he'll be fine. I think people just kind of get locked on to just one position that needs to be addressed, and they just assume that it has to happen. And you know, if there's a if there's a guard available, you know, Ben Barch is an interesting one. Um, he could play offensive tackle or guard. Uh, there, there's a couple other guys, Damian Lewis. Um, you know, if Caesar Ruiz is there at forty, maybe that's the offensive pick. Maybe they go off. Maybe they go running back. I don't know, but. Um, I, I think it's funny that they pick on one piece. That offensive line played well, and I'd love to see what they do in a second year. You know, continuity is key. Continuity is key. And this this team has never really had it when you look at the secondary. You look at the offensive line. You look at the wide receiving core. You just look at everything about this team. There's never been continuity anywhere. And uh, now you have a chance to have it. So I would assume that it would be smart to just kind of roll with it and see what the happens. But, you know, fans are never happy. Well, that's it. And the biggest issue and the biggest criticism of this team last year was consistency. So you, you've got to think continuity brings consistency or it'll get you close to what consistency could be, particularly 
at the, the starting five spots where the communication is everything. Uh, but you keep seeing it out there and I thought it was important to address because it, it continues to, to to linger there. But um, but yeah, as you said, I think it's, it's, there's, it's an evolution of the offense, but the, the defense definitely needs an injection of talent. But we'll, we'll see him, or as you said, we're sort of a couple of weeks away now uh, from that. But based on the picks that or the or the moves again that this office has made do you think this puts o'brien under any more pressure based on last week's round table my opinion is unchanged that he will need a reasonably borderline catastrophic collapse which up with watson under center is almost impossible or not impossible but highly unlikely to happen do you think o'brien's any under in, under any pressure on cal it certainly didn't seem like that last week when they they came you know they, they put out their uh their their company lying to the media yeah i think with um i think with bill you know there's an interesting factor as far as him being promoted to general manager that people seem to miss is that he didn't officially like get promoted he didn't get a, a raise he didn't get a new contract no language was changed in his contract this is cal mcnair basically saying fine you say you've had issues putting together the team you want so i'm going to give you all the power to do it and you're going to have a year to get it right. If you can't do that, then we're going to move on and find a new coach. And I think that's the case. I really believe that. I really believe that he is letting Bill O'Brien do what he thinks he needs to do. And if he can't do it, then we're going to have a new head coach next year. So I think the pressure is actually already internally there. I just don't think people realize it. Yeah, you're probably right. I think because you think, you know, best case scenario, you we go one better, if not, you know, to the to the ultimate stage, if you can find some consistency and just piece a piece of defense together that can stay healthy and just play sound fundamental football under Anthony Weaver. And if that's the case, then you, you've, you've got to feel re- relatively optimistic as you can do uh, at this stage, but there's 101 variables that can go for or against you. But yeah, you've got to think there is the option there, but it's, it seems at times he's the untouchable man. But he, but yeah, I think, you, I think if you are Cal, and you look at it and you go, you've, you've had continual pressure or continual input from the your main guy who's running football operations that the front office isn't supporting him, hasn't got the right players, etc. There was a lack of alignment there, that famous word that was used when they brought Brian Gain, but it didn't last very long. So if if, if that's not there okay, here you go, here's the keys. And now you've been given a full draft after this. You know, and it was a bit like when they went 0-3 two seasons ago. When it was, you know, he'd been given his general manager. And I think if he'd have lost another three games at that point, would he have been? Would he have gone if the team had been at 0-6? Quite possibly. You know, and I think it will, you know, it might take something like that, but... You know, if it's a missed playoffs or it's a one and done in playoffs, you've got to hope Cal's got the mental, fo- you know, the or the fortitude to go after O'Brien and say, look, a change is needed now. We've given you everything you ever asked for and more, and it's time to deliver. I think, and you know, I think it just seems like he's piling it on himself, O'Brien, more than anything else. Yeah, I think the pressure's on Bill, and I think Bill's doing what he feels he needs to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of time left for him to still add some key pieces, and I think he knows that, and I think this will be the year where we either see 
the the beginning of something new with Bill O'Brien or we see the end of Bill O'Brien. But I think those are the only two outcomes at the end of the season. Yeah, I think you're right. But uh, it's certainly been interesting for the, or the a more interesting off season than I can ever remember. It's going to be a fun season. I'm excited. Yeah, and it, as we said earlier, you've got to give him credit for doing it his way. And most general managers are, you know, they're, they're risk adverse or they'll make a move if they see a benefit to them. O'Brien doesn't see it that way. He sees it as a coach. It's non-traditional. It's a league. It's a private business that's run in a very traditional, this is how we've always done it mantra. So for somebody to do it differently, it's always going to receive criticism. But I think it's important that we get out the points like we've done today that don't, you know, just take NFL.com, don't just take ESPN's lead writer and their continual criticism because they're trying to get clicks. Think about where this team's going and actually when you... all things considered, it's not, you know, it's not a doomsday scenario that they, that you know many of the media outlets might want you to believe. Now, there's certain media outlets that obviously that O'Brien's got in his got in his uh, in his uh, call history that he's 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 given information to and he's given out stuff that he wants to be out there and as does every front office. But yeah, I think I don't think it's all, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. And I think I'm almost mildly positive at this stage now that you know the Cooks move showed a direction and a consistency of strategy so from that point of view yeah just you know if there's a season bring it on because uh this uh, Chicago away for me is and uh our group of guys has been uh has been pen you know has been circled on the on the schedule for a long time now so yeah happy for it to to come around and hopefully we'll see if this uh this strategy that he's employed different to everybody else is going to work yep i agree all right well we're two weeks two weeks or so away for the draft now so looking forward to it anything could happen yeah. you never know i think yeah we're going to do a virtual happy hour for the draft yeah well everybody's going to watch the draft together yeah so anybody i would encourage to dial into that and uh and uh let's try and get a bit of connectivity when everybody can't even go to a bar and watch the draft they can uh We'll see it online. Everybody's got Game Pass for free this year, so it's going to be quite an interesting experience. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Um, so it should be good. As we said, holes to fill. Hopefully we can find a way to do that. But it's uh, you've got to think O'Brien's done now with most of his business, but we'll wait and see. So um, James, thanks again for your time, mate. Uh, good to kick that one around. We seem like it's uh, there's a bit of light at the end of uh, what's been a bit of a dark off season but we're we're getting there and uh we'll see how we feel after the draft because it's just another stage in this long old off season absolutely i appreciate you having me on yeah thanks again mate all right we'll talk to you